welcome back to Who's Your Band? And today we have a very, very special guest joining Sean and I. We have actually two special guests. We have from Grand Funk Railroad and formerly of KISS, Bruce Kulik, along with his wife, Lisa. Welcome, guys. Hi. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. There's something I really wanted to bring up to Lisa. Okay. Um, First of all, um, something came across... Uh, I guess it was my 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 Facebook feed, and holy shit, you guys did an insanely great version of "See You Tonight." Lisa, <laughs> fucking record that. I mean, it knocked it out See, of the somebody park. Somebody saw it. it. Good. It I'm was, glad you it saw was, it. It was beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. Gene does it great. I'm telling you, it's one of those rare occasions where the cover is better than the original. You guys <laughs> got to record that. That was excellent. That was excellent. Well, thank you. Yeah. And by the way, with people, I did man, share it. It was great. I shared it with Gene. I don't bother Paul and Gene much with my, my, you know, what I share online, unless I think it's something that I absolutely don't want them to miss. And Lisa and I were always like, oh, we got to share this with Gene. So I did. And he wrote back fantastic with like, you know, six A's in it. Fantastic. <laughs> so he loved it. Um, and it's funny, we did stick in the email to him just, and what is it, Gene? Because lyrically, there's something in there that Lisa... It's a mystery. Yeah. The mystery lyric. He didn't respond, though. Nope. <laughs> so I think it's going to stay a mystery what it is, you know, in those, in the lines in the song. But we we um, actually um, prepared that track quite a while ago, and then we got so busy, we didn't get a chance to perform it, and then we realized now is the time... Zach, um, my my bass player that performed at the cruise on the Kiss Cruises with me, he did that as well. It was probably way before the holidays, oh, yeah. you know. And then finally, um, you know, I was really happy to finally finish it and be creative with including him in the video and sharing it with everyone. So thank you. You know, thanks. What made you choose that song out, out of all those? I mean, really going deep catalog there with, you know, of, of all like the things to kind of like cover, you're doing like a jeans solo. <laughs> well, Lisa. Well, we've covered a lot of the kiss songs. And especially uh, from what album? my voice always seemed to lend itself self best to the Paul songs. So we went through all of our Paul songs and I said, well, we got to start doing some Gene songs. So we did world without heroes. And then I said, well, well let's oh. just do the, uh, see you tonight. I mean, you, you're, your voice is just absolutely beautiful on it. And just like anything, I, like I went back and so I listened to a lot of Bruce's playing. And Bruce, man, I mean, you play with such soul. Oh, you thank know. you. Uh, yeah, man. So it leads me to like a question for you, man. Um, who were some of your early guitar influences? Like, because you're you're like kind of like Sean and I. We, we grew up in the same area. I, I grew up in in uh, Canarsie, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean's a Jersey guy. I knew originally from uh, Brooklyn, Queens. Yes, yeah, I was born in Brooklyn, uh, kind of in the Flatbush Avenue area, rather, and then I uh, wound up in Queens before moving out to the West Coast and everything. Much actually, I was already in Kiss when I moved out to the West Coast. But absolutely, first it started with the Beatles. You know, I, I saw the Ed Sullivan performance and my life changed like like millions of people around the world, billions of people around the world. Anyway, uh, and then the whole British invasion happened which, with incredible, uh, you know, bands from The Who to Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix, who 
of course he's American, but he had to go to England to make it, you know, and then music just became completely my, uh, my passion and my love. So guitar players like Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, of course, uh, George Harrison um, and Hendrix, huge influences in my life. And I never looked back, obviously, by the 80s when people like Eddie Van Halen started to uh, change the playing field with incorporating a lot of new exciting techniques. I, I kind of adapted and learned some of that and made it my own, which was very helpful in my Kiss years because that was the era of Kiss where we were trying to be competitive with, uh, you know, flashy guitar playing and everything. So, but without the original um, people I mentioned, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe I would have been an architect or a plumber. <laughs> where, the, where does that soul come from? I mean, you, you, you know, you add like, uh, like when you hear certain singers or uh, Sean and I are both stand-up comedians and like we'll we, you know we'll we'll do a bit and you'll put like a little stank on a word you'll put a little emphasis on something um mm -hmm. where does that plane come from that 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 little that that again that soul you you could feel it like when someone else plays it they don't play it the way you do okay yeah i, I mean i like you calling it soul um i i see it more like to be emotional with your playing or be passionate in in how you're uh performing your instrument um, I have to admit that uh, I do play, especially when I play my lead guitar, you know, lines that I play as if I'm singing them. And I admire so many amazing singers in my life, you know, not only McCartney and Lennon and people like Paul Rogers and Paul Stanley and Onwood and then even Frank Sinatra. You know, I've always been obsessed with singers, although I wasn't uh, born with a, an innate, you know, vocal abilities very happy my wife has a beautiful voice <laughs> that really always meant a lot to me but um obviously i think i just try to you know uh, connect with that inner muse of as you you're calling it soul which is not a bad way to, to, to if you can connect that um and and the people watching now should know that you know i've given guitar lessons and i've been doing it online with the pandemic of course um there are a lot of really good players but one of the things i try to help them with is connecting with something emotional inside of them because some people uh don't i don't know it's it's a bit of a disconnect or they may be technically good but they're not emoting anything is that uh, making sense? Yeah, it, makes, it, no, makes a, it makes perfect sense because yeah, again, Sean, with, with comedy, if you, when when you're delivering, you know, a bit, you're connecting with every word that you're saying because right. and it comes across as real. It's authentic, and it should be because it's an exaggeration on on what's actually happening in our lives. Would you say that's true, Sean? Yeah, I agree. I mean, even going back to the music part, I, I uh, Bruce, I don't want to brag, but I've been a very shitty guitar <laughs> player for the last 30 years. <laughs> and uh, you can always hear the great guitar players when you just feel the guitar is just an extension through their hands, which goes right to their to their inside. Right. And you can hear the difference. You can hear the technical guys like an Ingve Malmsteen, who is just off the charts, just technically ridiculous. But then you hear mm -hmm. a guy like John Mayer well, you can actually feel like the insides of his body coming out through his hands into yep. the guitar. Mm -hmm. that's, and that's the kind of guitar playing that I appreciate a lot more too. Well, and you I know, the, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, I think the reason why I'm using the word soul, because I was trying to get something out of you as well. Um, I think one of your first professional uh, uh, gigs or, you know, your, your, your first tours, you toured with uh, George McRae. Yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, before yeah. I answer to George McCray, can you guys answer something to me? I'm fascinated with comedians. Lisa and I love comedians. And I could be like in pain from laughing, enjoying someone's, you know, uh, delivery and how they're saying it. I mean, what do you guys connect to? I mean, is it is it similar to what I described with my guitar playing? Yeah, because there, there's so many. Again, there's, it's it's all art, number one. Mm -hmm. So whether you're a musician, whether you're an artist, whether you're a comedian, and there are people, and you'll understand this, there's musicians out there who strictly go out there to make money. Mm -hmm. And that's all they're doing. And then there's musicians who are out there who are making no money, but are making some of the most beautiful music you'll ever hear in your entire life. Same with comedy. You'll hear comics who are just going through the motions and reciting words reciting instead words. of feeling words. Right. And then there's people who will go up there for anywhere from five minutes to two hours. And you can just hear their just their inner workings of their brain coming out of their mouth. And those are the kind of comics that I mean, I strive to be personally. I know Jeff does, too. Uh, I would rather as an artist make no money and deliver a beautiful, amazing art than make mm -hmm. a shitload of money. I don't want to make no money. Let's be clear on that. OK, yeah. <laughs> but I need how, to make money. <laughs> but that, there's a part of your, your you know, the way you're describing it, it doesn't make sense to me. How could someone that can if they're making money, we we're, we're both in the entertainment business to make money. You need to connect with people. They need to love you. They need to buy the ticket, support you. So how does the guy who you think is just saying the words, yet he's got a major TV show or sells out of theater, how could he not be artistically talented? Well, think of it this way, Bruce. Um, say you decide you want to put out a jazz album, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to be playing a small club circuit and you're going to put a couple hundred people, maybe a thousand people in there. Um that's a different kind of project for you. Now, mm -hmm. with comedians too, you know, we don't, unless you're a really big name comic, you're not going to really be hitting the thousand seater all the time. So what we're doing is we're trying to, you know, be honest and be open. And then there's a lot of comics. I always call them like cover bands. So, you know, oh, okay. you know what I mean? Cover bands make a ridiculous amount of money here in New Jersey and New York. Mm-hmm. You know, I know bands who've made five, 10 grand a show just yeah. doing cover band stuff. Yep. But then I see these original bands who like I've been friends with for so many years who are just scrapping and just clawing just to get to open for a band that had one hit 20 years ago. Right. You know, so for me, it's more about the the artistic integrity and yeah. I'd rather I'd rather bomb on stage, just like if you wrote this, if you wrote a piece that was just you feel was just magical and you went out there and God forbid you got no applause break on it. Mm -hmm. It would bother you. It would completely bother you. But you're still putting out that amazing piece of work. Too. Yeah, so, I think your analogy with the cover bands. Now I understand how there could be a comedian who's not taking any chances, not doing anything that creative. He's staying safe. But you have to admit something's something's happening there for the people sure. to support him. Sure. Like Dane Cook was, was blasted for so many years for being mm -hmm. like a little niche comic, but Hey, the right. dude was playing Boston garden in Madison Square yes. Garden, So he's doing something right. So he yep. hit his target audience. And that's yeah. what people tend to do in comedy is they find a target audience and they kind of cater to that. Yeah. Like for some reason, my target audience is like 44 to 62 year old women. Why they <laughs> like me? I have no idea. <laughs> But they, they repeat, they repeatedly come out and support. So 
it's it's a hard it's a hard balance to try and find the yeah. artistic creativity and the uh, fill your wallet creativity. Yeah, as well. got it. So it's a tough it's I, a tough balance. I've seen a lot of comedians flying a lot because um, on the entertainment when I when I was usually flying every weekend hours and hours to get to the East Coast for Grand Funk, you know I run out of the movies I want to see. So now I'm watching some of the specials and these, these new guys I never heard of. Sometimes I'll have two or three of them. That's how I got turned on to Dana Cook. And I heard there was always like a controversy, but I always enjoyed it. I mean, let's face it, when you're jammed, jammed on a plane, I don't care if he's one of the maybe, you know, not the most inventive guy or however you guys judge your comedians, you know. Um, but but I but I was entertained. Now, on another funny subject, George McCray. <laughs> yeah, how did you hook up with George McCray? And also, you were also in a cover band, right? Weren't you in the Good Rats? Well, Good Rats wasn't a cover band, actually. Yeah, well, they did the um, the whole circuit. I, I remember. I remember. I remember. Yeah, I remember like Zebra and White Tiger. Remember those little, those type yeah, of bands? Of course. Yeah, yeah and, I knew I Randy Jackson from um, yeah. you know Zebra. Um, look, um, the Good Rats actually was an original band from the tri-state area that I joined after I kind of got beat up with with a band called blackjack uh after playing with meatloaf and other people but it's interesting you mentioned george mccray because not not long ago i i was uh describing some of that history in my career to another guy uh and he was blown away so george was managed by a guy that managed a cover band that i was working for you gotta remember i'm very young guys i was probably <laughs> 21 okay 22 right right when suddenly um I am playing the circuit in tri-state area with a band called Standing Room Only, SRO, wearing a suit, playing Top 40, which included a lot of disco stuff and dance stuff. And most of the clubs that needed a band, even though they used to pump in the, you know, the disco, but they did want a live band. We had to cover things from, you know, the disco artists. But anyway, that manager that used to know how to book those rooms well uh, and you know, make us a cohesive unit to be bookable, suddenly started to manage some people that, fluke or not, had a hit single. George McRae was literally the janitor at a studio for TK and the Sunshine Band, Casey and the Sunshine Casey, Band. Right, right. At, at, a, at a, I think his label was called TK something or the studio, whatever. So the next thing you know, Casey didn't want to do this song called Rock Your Baby. And the next thing Rock you know, he gives it to a George McRae, who just worked at the studio, who had a nice voice uh, and being a handsome black man. All of a sudden, this song just takes off. And now I'm touring the world with him. It was very bizarre. Um, and, Did and he have uh, enough to fill out a set? No. And that's that, that was my next point. What's interesting about a lot of artists like that is they only needed to do a half hour. But if you had a good band... We, you start out instrumental and playing things. So uh, we had a great band, um, really good players from New York. And uh, he even won the equivalent of the Grammy in Germany. He was so popular with that album and that song. So that this American band from New York, all of a sudden we're sitting in at what's what would be like the German Grammys playing the song with an orchestra and, and a conductor. It was so funny. Um, be and that was my really, 20, my first professional. years old? I was 20. Yeah, it was 75. I was 23. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm touring the world with an SG in my hard shell case that I still own. Thank God. Wow. And I really got to see the world. My stomach got to see the world. Right. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what a schnitzel was. I didn't do too well with that, you know, <laughs> but, um, 
those kind of experiences certainly prepped me for um, all the things to come. And I have to admit, uh, I was very blessed because right away there I went from just playing local places uh, to suddenly being on a much more international stage. And then all of a sudden I'm working in Meatloaf and then I'm doing an album with Billy Squire. Then I'm working with Michael Bolton for a band and then uh, Good Rats. And then all of a sudden I'm in Kiss, you know, so the thing that I never looked back and it was you really became seasoned. You became seasoned. You became a real professional. Lisa, exactly. were you and Lisa, were you always a professional singer? Um, I wouldn't say ever professional, but I definitely dabbled in it through my life and musicals when I was in high school and college. And then when I got a little older, I lived in New York and down in New York, they had restaurant row with all of the sure, different. Little, Street. Yeah, the little clubs and the little cabaret clubs and eventually got enough uh, courage to go down and do some shows there in 2000 to 2003 before I moved to LA and really didn't do it again after that till I met Bruce. Right. So I mean, he got me wow. going. Again. Lisa wow. was a full-time flight attendant, yes. which I was very proud of her. She was only first class. So she got to meet a lot of great people. Is that people. how you guys met? Yeah. No, we, we actually met years later um, through, through, through something industry wise, you know, but, but, uh, and that would have been nice. I've always said that to her. That's funny. You said that. Oh, damn. I wish I would have met you on a plane years <laughs> ago. You know, that would have been great because I'm sure we would have had that connection, you know, but, but I was so excited when Lisa, uh, they were kind of crude. She's been sharing them on social media. Tell, tell her what the feature is called of your cabaret. Well, performance. Yeah. I had all of these really, really rough looking, well, it's VHS, VHS, VHS tape, tapes you know. where I, I hired it. somebody. I saw just, it. Oh, you did? Okay. Mm, yeah, yeah. And so I decided at the end of last year, let me start doing something to just get those up there. Then I can eventually put them together on a YouTube channel or something. Started showing them and called it Cabaret with Cabernet. And there, a lot of people enjoy it. It's been fun for me to watch those. I mean, those were a long time ago. And I, I'm impressed with what I could do back then. I don't even know if I could do that. Anymore. Well, you guys talk about <laughs> purity and art. Okay. How pure is this? She didn't do the hits, right? She went for the deepest, whatever song moved her that she could yeah, I put had herself to, I into had to it. connect to it. Yeah. And, and, and she's playing songs that like, what, where'd you find that one? You know what I mean? And then she tells the story uh, and maybe on the set, there, there's like two out of the set that are kind of standards that someone that even is into that would know the rest was like, where'd you find that song? You know, but that's, that was my wife. That's what yeah, she wanted that's, to do. That's really yeah. cool because you're turning people on to music. They wouldn't know otherwise. So Absolutely. I think that's yeah. really cool, but you alluded to something, Bruce, that I don't want to kind of gloss over. You're like, Hey man, I played with meatloaf. Yeah. Didn't you play on the, um, on the initial uh, bad out of hell it, tour? It was the bad out of hell tour. Yes. And yeah. I don't mean to gloss, gloss over that. It was a very big one year of my life that, oh my that God, again, yeah. I got a lot of lessons from. Well, first of all, uh, you know, the gig was my brother and I, you know, and uh, uh, as you know, um, uh, we didn't always work together. But the times we did, it was always very special. And Bob really he had the gig right away because he was uh, you know, he's like almost four years older than me. And he already had a reputation when they were looking for two guitar players. Um, Bob saw that that was a great opportunity to bring me in, even though Bob actually played for a little while with George McRae with me because we wanted another guitar player for a short while. And he was kind of free 
and we played these crazy chitlin clubs, you know, with George McRae. It was so bizarre, but it was fun because, uh, you know, Bob and I definitely had a good, you know, chemistry with the guitar playing. But Bob convinced them that I'd be the great, you know, other guitar player. Uh, this is before Meatloaf was famous. We're rehearsing with him. Bad of the Hell just came out. First gig with Cheap Trick, we're practically booed off the stage, you know, and then all of a sudden the label got really serious with it once they saw us at the CBS convention because the label was part of CBS and they pumped the money and the people responded. You get on the radio, if they they spend that money back then, that's how that machinery worked. You know that, you know, you, the record You did industry. that famous Saturday Night Live gig with them too, Yes, right? and we, put, we were on Saturday Night Live and that was with Gilda Radner and John Belushi. Christopher Lee was so great. He he just deadpans, you know, ladies and gentlemen, meet loaf. Right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is like, wow. I'll never forget. I remember going to the after they always had an after show party. And there I am at, at this, you know, cool place in, in New York with all these uh, celebrities that I was enamored with. You know, they were I was big on Saturday Night Live when I was young. So it was that was a great gig. We played for a year around the world. Meatloaf was very complicated then. He was very wild. He was out of control at times. It was, was very Jim Steinman with him? Yes. Steinman did, you, you did that entire him? tour. Yeah. Hmm. Very eccentric guy and very talented, as you know. Unbelievable. So, Great I learned a lot, but one thing you guys should know, it's hard to find digital, uh, even though there's someone that posted it on YouTube. But for quite a while, uh, you remember when all the CDs were issued and they put remastered things right. and remastered tracks. So I remember a fan coming up to me in Norway. It was probably around, I don't know, 99 or something. And he goes like, Bruce, sign my meatloaf record. And I'm looking at it and I could tell it was like <laughs> a deluxe packaging. And I'm like, I'm not on this. And he goes like, no, there's two live songs. You're, you're, you're on this sign, please. Like, uh, can I take a picture first? <laughs> you know what I mean? So I Sign it. Uh, I showed my manager, and I realized that suddenly, you know, the band was on there, which which we we straightened out later out you know, later on with the record company. But the point is, there are CDs where you can hear two bonus tracks: uh, the intro song that Steinman wrote, "Great Balls of Bolero" or "Great Balls of Fire," which was like a bolero thing, right into "Bad Out of Hell," and and it's really recorded well. NASA Coliseum. I'm on the left. My brother's on the right. I do the big guitar solo in Bad Out of Hell, and it's is way Kazim better than that. Is Kazim playing bass? What's that? Is Kazim uh, Sultan no, playing bass? No, that was later, even though Kazim did work with Meatloaf. And I'm not sure if Kazim was on the original original uh, record. I know that a lot of the E Street band was, you know. But uh, no, it was this guy, Steve Buslow, who wound up working with okay. Paul Stanley later on. It was a terrific band. I'm still in touch with many of those guys. So, but definitely uh, you, you can find that online. That's kind of cool. So you'd actually hear me and my brother performing with me, love. That's awesome. That's, that is very cool. So how do, how do you go from, okay, so now you're playing in meatloaf and I guess, you know, one thing leads to another, but how do you make that big step up to joining Kiss? I know, uh, who, who was the guitar player before you? Was it uh, Mark St. John. James? Mark St. John. Well, Right. So, so they went to Vinny for a short minute, you know, and Vinny contributed good songs, but he wouldn't sign the contract or whatever the story was. And the next thing you know, they go to Mark St. John, almost in a, in a bit of an overreaction, if you want my opinion. You know, they got a list of the hotshot guitar players from Grover Jackson, the guy who built Jackson guitars and Charvel guitars. And the next thing you know, Mark Norton becomes Mark St. John. By the way, today is like his uh, birthday. birthday. I saw yeah. it on Kiss. Oh, happy birthday, Kiss Mark St. John. Yeah. So um, 
But then Mark got got a, a rare arthritic condition, which was obviously, um, you know, uh, tragic for him. And and it was unusual because in 84, they already started the animalized record in the summer of 84. And um, all of a sudden I got the call. My brother, of course, has that Kiss connection, which was very strong. And the Kiss fans know because of him performing on uh, some of the studio tracks for Alive 2 and Paul Stanley's solo record. And many times Kiss went to Bob for some ghost guitars, it's called. But this time I got the call. So now I'm at the studio with Paul Stanley. Did your brother have anything on... to do with that? What was did that? You, did your brother have anything to do with that? No, I mean, Bob always planted the seed in their mind that I was a great guitar player. And I did meet those guys, et cetera, et cetera. But it didn't connect. I think there were some other people that Paul were close to. I always like to give Mitch Weissman also credit, guy that was in Beatlemania who wrote some songs with them. And sure. he he definitely touted Paul Bruce. You know what I mean? He's he's good. So anyway, I had the right guitar. I did the right performance. Paul says, hey, don't cut your hair. It's already shoulder length. I didn't know why he said that to me because he didn't say, by the way, Mark is fighting a arthritic condition that his hands blown up like sausages and he can't play guitar. He didn't tell me anything, you know? <laughs> and then six weeks later, I get a, you know, contact from the KISS office. Can you go on tour with the band two weeks, maybe six weeks? And it turned out to be 12 years, you know, as you know. So he didn't even have to go in or audition or anything like that. It's just just kind of by recommendation I, I and reputation. I mean, I've been talking about it lately. I didn't always, but I actually did audition when they did that cattle call a few years earlier. Kevin like Sam Bora, I think Slash also had auditioned. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of rumors who did. I, I, I never know. I, I know I did. OK, but I'm <laughs> never sure who the other guys are, because I've heard Gene and Paul like he never did. You know what I mean? So it's kind of kind of ironic. It's very easy to say it because I think they listened to 200 guitar players then. But I was very nervous. I was very shy. I had a mustache. I just remember Gene saying great vibrato. And I remember I could barely hear myself. They sounded like a jet engine in that uh, rehearsal room. It was it was not good. It wasn't the best of me is what I'm saying. So I I, um, I I got the right way to prove myself. First, do a good job in the studio. Second, you know, um, prove myself on the road. Then I had the home team advantage. This story gets even crazier, guys. So now Mark is over the disease because it wasn't one of those permanent things. You know, he's he's healed. He can play guitar again. Oh, Mark's going to join us for the American tour because I was in Europe for six weeks with them. So imagine how tight I am now performing with them for six weeks. Right. right and they're right. happy. So now we're, there we are in a, uh, you know, uh, a, arena tour sold out because, you know, Heaven's on Fire is a huge hit for the band. And Mark's also there to watch, learn, and then they're going to try him. OK, so they stuck him into three gigs they did the first half of a show probably about two weeks into the tour maybe a little less i don't exactly remember and then they, they let him do the other half of the show can you imagine and that you're not, like a, and you're not performing at that point well for the half gig i performed the other half yeah i'm all oh, so weird yeah it was really weird but again i don't know exactly why they uh, it could have been contractual for whatever reason they needed to give him a shot right then they let him do an entire gig OK, so I was always in the wings just in case, you know, something happened or whatever. But uh, and then they sent him home and that was it. And it was my gig. It was very weird. 
What a great story, though. And I, I, I'm so proud of it. But I have to say, uh, just to conclude about Mark, first of all, he's a sweet guy. He was very talented. But the second I heard he was a guitar player and I read about his influences, I said, like, this guy loves some of the players that I love, but they have nothing to do with Kiss. Hence, you hear a lot of very interesting, flashy stuff on Animal Eyes. But he wasn't into Jimmy Page or Jimi Hendrix or Eric Clapton, you know, and, and Kiss was was really born out of a Led Zeppelin kind of thing, not a not a jazz fusion, Alan Holdsworth or stuff like that. You know, so so I didn't think he was the right guy for the gig. And I obviously knew how to fit in with them. And it was a great opportunity. I did stay in touch with Mark. We did some uh, uh, one or two expos together, I think. And I've, I've always respected the guy. And then sadly, he passed away probably about 15 years ago or something, mm. you know, uh, before, before, uh, we go on here, uh, Sean, back me up with this. Um, other musicians absolutely love your era of kiss. We had a uh, PJ. Far Remember we had PJ Farley from uh mm -hmm. trickster on, and he's doing cover, uh, uh, yeah. um, versions of just your era of kiss. Remember we were talking about yeah. that, Sean? Well, for me personally, too, it's I for me, you know, you, you always hear like the Detroit Rock City and the Cold Gin and all that shit. But for me, Revenge is is pure kiss for me. Like, that's my favorite album by far. And I always go to that late 80s, early 90s version of Kiss as my personal favorite version as, as a musician, too. And I like I I think I yeah. shade it. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I liken it to, to Bruce's guitar sound in that. Yeah. Well, what I've noticed is really, um, depending on when you got into Kiss, might affect, you know, what era is your favorite. And I, I don't mind if, you know, to me, it's one of those bands that just has this huge history. And I feel connected to the entire thing, even though I'm certainly the representative of the non-makeup era. And, uh, and there was a lot of great albums put out then. And for certain people and certain, um, uh, you know, certainly... Uh, there are albums and tours that are so memorable. Some countries that I'm much more popular in than other countries because of the impact that me touring would kiss during those years that I was in the band made. So I am so blessed to be part of this history, as I call it, and I celebrate it. But um, really, I mean, the fact that they're back in makeup, they've stayed in makeup, they only do a little bit of my era. It really makes the era special for me, you know, and I, and I embrace it. I'm enjoying it. The fans know I'm celebrating it. I'm all for it. Kiss, Gene and Paul personally actually think it's really cool. They've invited my cruise band. I'm not going to cover, you know, the makeup songs, you know, when I'm going to perform on the cruise. We're going deep on all those albums I was involved in, and we can do the songs that fans really do have an appetite for. So it's been such a win-win for me, and I'm going to continue to celebrate those 12 years i could cover songs that my wife can sing because she can do the uh my era especially paul's range um and i those guys that i've been playing with obviously can do it as well so it's been a been a really exciting thing uh to be a part of this this uh incredible band with such a long history you know it's one thing i wanted to ask you too is uh jeff as well as myself were huge cover song fans and for years i would constantly buy those cds where it would be like 80s and 90s musicians who would cover other versions of like uh, the 80s and 90s songs. And I always would see your name popping up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You played on a lot of those. So how, yeah. do they, how do they put those together? They just like put them in a fishbowl 
and just say, <laughs> okay, so, so you have a guitar section, you have a guitar fishbowl, you got a vocal fishbowl, and you just pick it out? Or do well, you I mean, actually link up? And, I, and- I, I, I love all the opportunities I've gotten. And certainly I'm on that list of, you know, when there's things to represent certain styles of playing, and I'm happy to be part of that. But there's a bigger story with our connection with this Kiss and PJ Farley, you know, you got to remember that that's really Chris Jericho, you know, Jericho, the wrestler, you know, he has that band Fozzie and uh, he's a huge supporter of my era. I'm his favorite guitarist of Kiss. He constantly, he's just one of those guys that, that, that loves that era. So, and he's a really talented singer, even though he's an incredible uh, wrestler and, and entertainer, shall I say. Yeah, yeah. So I know they, they first started with No, No, No. I'm very close with all, I'm actually real close with the drummer. PJ and I have had some communications, but uh, the drummer Kent and the guitar player Joe McGinnis that they have are, these guys are so talented. Eric Singer actually turned me on to it because he knew Kent, the drummer. Next thing you know, I'm in the mix. And then I cut Sword and, I mean, I'm sorry, I cut, um uh heart of chrome with them okay and now they did a third song i'm not involved with that one but i'm going to be hyping it too so they call it quarantine with a k they're using the destroyer font right right anything right. that's an um you know uh, a dedication and a and a homage as you say to my era i love and i think it's really cool and i know paul and gene are quite proud of it too so it's really cool and pj does a great job and i know when when it's safe for them to gig I think, you know, to really get out there, I think, I think Jericho wants to do that. So that's going to be really cool to see the reaction to, you know, who knows, maybe I'll be sitting in on a few songs, right? Jericho is an amazing musician. He's an amazing wrestler, but he's a shitty emailer because I've been emailing him for three years (laughs) to try and get on his rock and wrestling Rager cruise as a comedian. No, I should, because he's a good judge of character. He he knows to stay away from you. Uh, You know, Uh, (laughs) sometimes it's best, I can give you a tip, contact Six Man, okay? That's the the promoter. Because they're the same people as the the Kiss Cruise, okay? Oh, awesome. And it is always political with the cruises. I've noticed that, that usually the headliner can handpick, but sometimes they're not totally involved. You know what I mean? Uh, And and it's politics like most things in life. So don't give up. Keep doing it. No, absolutely. I want to bring up one other thing. Um, I want to bring up Union. Sure. I loved this band. Mm -hmm. For me, I think John Karabi is one of the most underrated musicians of the last 30 years. And I wanted this. I wanted Union to be as big as Kiss. That was my whole thing. I wanted it to be as big as them. How did you guys link up and start that band? Well, first off, thank you so much. And and while you mention that, I think we should cover a union song. I think so. Okay, I just thinking about that because well, look, can I I give you a song to cover? Uh, Sure. If you're gonna do union, I, I I don't need it anymore. Love, I don't need it anymore. That is a really good one. Absolutely. That that's probably that's a good one. That's a good one, and she can definitely. Well, everything's kill that. all right. I mean, those are two. two no, so, I yeah. mean, there's and, a lot of good ones. And I yeah, have those played those acoustically because so when cool. Lisa and I, when we do this stuff, it's mostly acoustic. Because uh, obviously, eventually, we could always do a band thing. Sometimes I'm using backing tracks to help now. But thank you. Uh, that's a good suggestion. Look, it was real simple with Union. Um, I wasn't going to be in Kiss anymore. John, ironically, wasn't going to be in Motley Crue. That whole story is pretty wild. What a disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, because Nikki, who I'm friends with, and Nikki used to talk to me a lot about his trials and tribulations with 
with Motley and he couldn't deal with Vince anymore. And hey, that was the end of that. And then they get this guy, John Karabi, and then they're doing this killer album. Agree it's with the me best, there. It's the best Motley Crew album by right. far. And yeah. I argue this all the time. Yeah, I know. But it was a disaster. Don't ask. Okay. Who knows? Whatever. They all wanted the Vince sound. And 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 John is obviously the opposite of that. So anyway, it didn't work out. Business always kind of sometimes trumps the artistic uh, desires. And the next thing you know, they get they get Vince back. Okay, so now John doesn't have a gig. So the two of us were put together by a dear friend of mine, this guy who managed Kiss for a while, Larry Mazur. He, uh, when I said, what do I do? I said, like, why don't you start a group? I go, I don't, I'm not a lead singer. Okay, how about John Karabi? He's free now. I know how to reach him. So next thing you know, John comes over. We had a good chemistry, very much yin and yang. He's tattooed, lip pierced, you know, uh, you know, kind of maniac looking guy compared to me. I'm the teetotaler, okay, with not a tattoo. I'm lucky to have one earring, you know, pierced thing, right? And But the chemistry was there because the love of the music, the respect for each other, and the fact that we decided we weren't going to ride on their coattails. We were only going to ride on our talent. So you being this comic purist, okay, who I could tell, right, from your discussion earlier, our desire was just to do a great record and not say, let's do a Kiss Motley album. Just let's do music we love. And we did. We Back then, the industry was weird. It was getting totally into the grunge bands and, you know, bands like Kiss struggled, hence the makeup, hence the reunion. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. E- even Motley took a while for them to get back on track. You know that. Sure. So that new, that new metal, bro. Yeah. And and what could I say other than I'm proud of everything we did. I think the timing was terrible. We had a label that cared, but really didn't have the money to help. And it, and it just didn't take off the way I would have hoped. But artistically speaking, we did two great studio records that I'm very proud of. We did a terrific um, live thing, which, again, was thrown together very quickly all right, we're going to film, you know, like record you that night. You know what I mean? And we were opening for Cinderella. So you're going to hear feedback on it. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. Um, But, but I, and I'm still tight with John. I Brent Fitz, who's the drummer of union is still my dear friend who's been performing with me on the cruises. He's part of that group. So there's still that connection, John and I, and then we brought out Lisa did a, a kiss expo about a year and a half ago. So I'm still really close with John and and who knows in the future, maybe we could revisit something union, but thank you for uh, mentioning that you really enjoyed the music. One question I always ask every uh, big musician that we get on the show. So now you have the, you have the gold card. You can pick any band that you want to be in. So it's you, you make three phone calls to a guitar player, to a bass player, to a drummer and and a singer. Who is your ultimate dream band? Well, on a realistic level, the guys that I've been playing with are because I know that they'd be happy to do it. Otherwise, you know, yeah, I'm calling up Paul McCartney. Realism. And- Fuck realism, Bruce. I'm talking about this is your dream. <laughs> yeah. People are going to answer the phone. You're making three phone calls. Right, right, living right. Or dead. I don't give a shit. Who's your All right. Band? I probably, you know what? I probably want a more rock singer. So I'd probably call Paul, Paul Rogers. Great I would singer. definitely probably ask, uh, um, you know, I'd probably go a little Led Zeppelin and, and go with, uh, yeah, you know, and then, uh, on drums. Wow. Who's my favorite, favorite drummer. Wow. John Bonham. Well, but, but I thought they should be alive. No, 
No, they could be dead. Okay, yeah, John Bonham. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. I shouldn't have a full rhythm section. Then it would be Jack Bruce, John Bonham. Ooh, and, oh, man, and, that's uh, a good and, one. And we'll, yeah, that's and I'll put one. I'll put uh, Paul Rogers as my singer. There that's you go. And, and if I need a second guitar, well, my favorite guitar players are usually, oh, who knows? I don't know. The second guitarist, I'll, I'll just have... Uh, you know, I can't have Eddie Van Halen. He'd blow me away there. I don't know. <laughs> I'll play rhythm. Listen, I'll play rhythm. But what I'll do is I'll play rhythm. Okay, I then you're the plug guy. in. I have great stage presence, but I won't plug okay. it. Well, so John Lennon could do both too. Actually, there you go. So after after Union, is that when you wound up joining Grand Funk? Um. Well, actually, there was just a little bit of time when I started to dabble in my solo album. But yeah, I got a call. By 2000, Union kind of hit the wall and we realized, well, we're not breaking up, but there's no real opportunities that make any sense. And that's when Don Brewer actually approached me. Yes, it, they did kind of run right into each other, Cause fortunately. Because you've been in Grand Fun for like the last 20 years. It's 20 years now. And uh, obviously our some kind of wonderful tour 2020 only wound up with five gigs, <laughs> but I think we all know why. Right. Uh, some kind of. Uh-huh. What was some the joke? Of, oh, what did I say? Uh, I had a joke. Yeah, about you had a funny thing. So you some, were in... some kind of blunderful. <laughs> yeah, wonderful because it just hit a wall. But but you really terrific guys. Look, when when Don first reached out to me, I thought like, is this is this for real? You know what I mean? Why? I did meet Don Brewer years earlier when I and I know we kind of glossed over the uh, my years with uh, Michael Bolton, but uh, Michael and I had a band called Blackjack. Okay, that happened right after the Meatloaf thing. Okay. And He's a Michael great was rock and roll singer, by the way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and that's how Michael got involved with singing, uh, or rather co writing the song with Paul uh, Stanley forever, you know, which was a big hit. But, yeah. but, and Michael and I are still close. And th- we did two albums uh, with a band called Blackjack. And, and, uh, um, you, you know, certainly uh, there was a little period where he went off solo. We, he invited me to play guitar on tour. We opened for Bob Seger, and who is the drummer in Bob Seger? Everything always interconnects, guys, right? But the uh, the drummer was Don Brewer. So ah. the next thing you know, years later, when when uh, Mark Farner wanted to be a solo artist, and Don and Mel weren't sure what the hell to do, they suddenly were introduced to a great singer, Max Carl, and then he realized this could work. Now we just need let's look at a short list of guitar players, and I was on that list, and they invited me out. And so right at that period is when I uh, went up to Michigan and met them. And, uh, you know, it's been 20 years. We all get along. We added a terrific keyboard player, Tim Cashin, who also was a guy who played with Seeger and other people. So it's a really formidable band, you know, although unlike Kiss, production-wise, it's really just a logo behind us and your typical lights and sound, no lasers and bombs and, you know, craziness. But it's great music. yeah, great music. Everybody sings well and the playing. And we stick to a pretty powerful set that is mostly the bigger hits and then some uh, a couple of different things and a couple of originals. But, you know, it really goes over well. And uh, I haven't seen those guys since uh, March 7th. It's pretty tragic, but that's the way that things are going. Bruce, why do you think Blackjack didn't work? Um I I always I always liked Michael Bolton. He had a, a solo. Mm-hmm. I, when I first graduated uh, college, uh, I worked for uh, CBS Records. I worked in the A and R department, and I remember he had a solo album out. And there was one single that was really good. Uh, it was called Gina. Do you, I don't, do you know the song? And you I don't could, remember Gina. You could hear, you could hear the 
like like he was like he was still kind of finding himself as a uh, as an artist this is before all his uh, uh big hits this i'm gonna say this had to be about 86 right okay. ar- right, right around there so he was yeah so why didn't blackjack work you know well i know the label was very um supportive and they they got us a big producer tom dowd um at the time our record came out the biggest album in america was super Tramp, super tramps breakfast in america okay and i remember the pressure on us and i really do think we did a good record i don't think we kind of completely hit our stride and even though they were promoting it and we did some fancy videos and this is pre-mtv you know it just didn't really connect and i do really feel that I know I've I've played the music a lot for Lisa. We actually covered one song from the second album called Stay. And um, but I don't I don't really think the band kind of just connected the way we always hope. But uh, and then once it didn't happen right away, the label and, and, and the hopes from the label, from the money they spent and everything uh, was so big. That's actually works against you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Because if it doesn't then translate suddenly into the radio, uh, you know, the phones lighting up and sales, then everybody's like, eh, look at those guys. They spent all that money. So uh, and I've talked to Sandy Gennaro, the drummer friend of mine from that group about that recently. But we're all learning. And I do think Michael really, by the time he became a big star and won his Grammy, he even though it was on a cover song and 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 but he was already writing great pop, blue eyed soul, great songs. And I think he. He was in a better stride than my blackjack years. But again, it was it was uh, something that I'm very, very fond of. And it, it connects me with um, a lot of interesting people. And one last thing about that that I got to mention, I know Michael puts it in his book. So there I am recording with Tom Dowd, very famous producer, Allman Brothers, Eric Clapton, Ray Charles. Right. We're at Criteria Studios down in Miami. And I remember we're working on a guitar sound for a song. He heard us a different way than I think we heard us. But either way, he actually at one point, I'm dialing in the sound. He goes like, what are you doing? It sounds like Kiss. He didn't like it, in other words. you know. But isn't that funny that he described my guitar sound like Kiss? And then, of course, years not that many years later, about five years later, I become the Kiss guitarist. So Michael found that funny. I am always, I've always been like a hopeless romantic growing up. You know, I would always play like, you know, I grew up as a rocker, you know, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, all that stuff. But like, I can always remember being like 13, 14 years old and seeing Michael Bolton songs at the top of my lungs, just hoping that, that, the, girls, that the girls would hear me. I think he's a very underrated singer. I think he's a brilliant songwriter. And I, I, I think, think he's underrated at all. I think I think he's got a bad rap. I really I think think he's somehow a bad rap. Became, there was something controversial about. He always looked so intense, was singing with such fury and passion, which really connected with a lot of people. And don't ever feel bad for him. He's very successful. He's done very well. And then check this out. How do you do that when you become a bit of a parody for certain people? He was the butt of a joke on that uh, uh, that movie, that big movie, uh, Off Space, something like that. It was, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and But then oh, right, right. some of the people on Saturday Night Live embrace him turn it around lonely island let guys. him be kind of over the top parody of himself and that explodes to the, his benefit okay the, he's the very Jack blessed Sparrow song yes yeah. yes and and then he worked that so uh i have so much respect for the guy 
And um, I, I, I learned so much from him. I talk about it weekly with Lisa. The one word I learned from Michael, which I, I, I say as a mantra all the time, priorities. You know what I mean? My career right now and, and always, you know, there's so many things coming at you. You do have to figure out what is really most important. What do I need to work on first to get, you know, and then to, to really nurture it all to be successful with it, you know. And Michael always would talk to me about priorities, you know what I mean, and how to do it right and how can we be successful. And even though Blackjack wasn't, you know that everything you do, even when it's a, fail, a failure, in, in a sense, it's a success because it, it teaches you and gets you to Absolutely. the next place. So Absolutely. Michael, I learned so much from Michael. I learned so much from Billy Squire writing down every little detail of everything that happened for Taylor the tape and that record that i did with billy squire wasn't his big album although it's well respected and people love it eddie trunk always which talks album about was it uh tale of the tape i play oh, a lot of okay. guitar i'm playing rhythm on the entire record and then uh all of a sudden his next record he takes off like a, a, like a rocket you know what i mean he's huge so i've always seen this these these people who are successful it's not really an accident there's something that they have and there's some reasons why and I feel like I've I've learned something from everyone in my journey. That's very, very. It's really stupid. What are your favorite new bands that are out right now that you're that you're really digging? Well, when it comes to rock, I mean, I was talking, and they were real controversial because, well, you know, I love Led Zeppelin, so I love Greater Van Fleet. God damn you know? it, Bruce! I knew it. Yeah, <sighs> we fight about this all the time. I love Greater yep. Van Fleet. <sighs> I just love, I love that, that. I love that they play music. They play yes. music. I've seen yes. them interviewed. They're so young and they're so, they're just doing what they love. And yeah, they modeled themselves after a band that is so special to all of us and so hard to do as well as they have, you know. I, but I will be honest, I don't listen to a whole lot of rock. You know, I'm so hooked on such music that Lisa tell me. He's the biggest Frank Sinatra fan on the planet. <laughs> Frank cool. Sinatra 24-7 at the house. I love Can't it. help it. Well, there's a body of material that I was not exposed to during my. What did what, oh, you know, Yeah, to? you know, I knew some songs that growing like, up. What? What do you listen to? I'm not talking about my way in New York. New no, York. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about like night and day, something like that. We, 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 a song where he's actually connecting with and he's telling the story. The the, the differences yes. between night and day, the, the, and it's more than just you know yes. night and day that he's singing about. The capital years is when he was so in a groove, but then I'll spend an entire day going through the Columbia years and hearing earlier versions of the ones that I fell in love with. I'm going to lose all my Kiss fans watching this talking about Frank, but understand one thing. There is no greater singer. There is no better phrase, someone who can phrase a lyric and sing the song exactly. better exactly. than that man. And, and look, everyone, I don't care if you like Norwegian death metal and that connects to you. God bless you. That's great. Music is for everybody. But when someone like that can sing, Judy Garland connects with Lisa that way. And I'm kind of like, eh, I don't like that era for her, Lisa. Oh, this is beautiful. How old is she here? You know, and we'll talk about that. You know, Dean Martin's another one of my favorites and that's really Lisa's great. favorite. But uh, I still go crazy over Paul McCartney. Not you know, 2021 Paul McCartney, even though, of course, I bought the latest record and I love it. But, you know, there are certain singers that like they just make me just so I get so emotional listening to them. I love them. You know, did you like Paul Flowers in the Dirt? Dream. Did you What's like that? that? Did you like the McCartney album Flowers in the Dirt? Oh, loved it. So I, I supported all the solo records and I was going crazy. Like, why aren't these platinum records? Well, it's not a Beatle album. I get it. OK. 
but what can I say? Uh, but you know, with rock now, um, yeah, I mean, people play me things and, and I'll go like, okay, that's pretty cool. But, uh, it's a weird time, you know, but I'm just glad that people are at least celebrating, you know, my era, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, right. uh, I, and I want to work on more new music with, with the guys that I perform with on the cruise. We're, we're working on a track now. The first one will actually be a cover song, but then after that we'll do, we'll do originals and I'm just going to full speed ahead, whatever I, we love and can come up with that's what i want to put out like union well let me tell you this this hour went by so unbelievably yeah, look quick at that, honey. you know, i mean and so be, before we, we let you guys go and enjoy the super bowl and everything yes. um, what do you guys have planned I, I i hope you got something you're going to record something with lisa i mean I, I keep I keep hearing like I would love to hear more Lisa more more of your voice. It's really it's really a very beautiful voice. Aww. Thank you. Well, tell me about that one song we put out three years ago. Yeah, it we is. did put up put out a song called "If I Could Show You," and it was actually at our wedding. Where can it you was find a song, it? Uh, you could find it on everywhere, right? Streaming, Streaming. everywhere, okay. iTunes, Spotify. Yes, it's okay. Lisa Lane Kulik featuring Bruce right. Kulik. Okay. okay. <laughs> yep. There's two songs up there. There's the other song from the wedding too, but that's under Lisa Lane. Okay. Right. That's before we were yeah. married. <laughs> but but at, since this song and COVID, when I've been performing a lot with Lisa, and we do those Christmas songs every year. Of course, we do. What do we do this year? I'll be, I'll home. be home for Christmas. Of course, because it's COVID. Of course, I'll be home for Christmas, right? <laughs> uh, but um, I would like to do some things. Lisa and I always fantasize first about a Christmas record that we could put out from all those songs, which would obviously come out at the right time of the season. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's something that we we think about. Right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, I have to admit that uh, this period uh, since last March, we've learned so many new things, you know, between me dabbling and, and Lisa first showing me how things on iMovie so I could present things on social media that are more entertaining for people um, doing the best we can in our home to to entertain, you know what I mean? With, with, with good lighting and, and, and good quality. So, so all those tricks I've learned, but ultimately it still comes down to the talent and that passion that you can, uh, you, you know, create, uh, that gets, gets shared. Certainly with my band, um, those guys, I do, uh, I, I am going to record. Okay. And like I said, I have plans for, you know, song and then more to come, uh, other projects. What are some other projects? Other projects for, us in the coming year this year is it coming up coming up well yeah i mean i always look at your career no your career you're here <laughs> tell me about your artwork no i do artwork that's something that i've been doing uh this last year a year ago I actually put up an etsy store and i take photos and i bling them out with gems and glitter and it's gone over really well mm -hmm. i will I tell you it. My favorite thing that came out of the pandemic at the movies. Oh, oh yeah. right, right. I knew about that. That's right. It's at, huge too. Yeah, it really is. Yep, yep. No, That's there's so funny. many uh, like YouTube oh. things that exploded, and there you go. You, you know, I mean, everybody had to rethink how to entertain. You know, sure. be creative. So we all have. You know, but um, certainly, uh, like Lisa's art, um, her talent. Uh, I know you talked about uh, reaching out to that piano player from those cabaret things and say, like, you think we could do another song? Why? Sh why shouldn't she revisit it? You know, and now we do have that technology, even if they're in another city right. to join them together. You know, where what do I mean? you live right so, now? 
we live in Las Vegas. We love it here. We ah. moved from LA almost uh, like two and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, so, love it here. so you're not on the East Coast digging under two feet of snow today. Yeah. yeah, it's it's snowing over here on the East Coast. Brutal. But I would say it would be so cool if you guys were still like New Yorkers when things start to open up. I would love to have like maybe gone like down to that, you know, uh, Midtown by Restaurant Row. And, Absolutely. And, uh, 50, 40, uh, 54th Street and maybe uh, catch a, a Lisa set. No, I mean, the opportunities, Lisa and I always have been saying this, this especially in this last year, that this uh, kind of connection that we're making with so many people and many more and new people that once once everything's more back to normal with entertainment, it gives us a fantastic opportunity to to then on every level. I'd love to do stuff small, like it, you know, in the sense of how many players and where with my wife. I'd love to do an evening with Bruce where I just introduce Lisa and we do some things because I did dabble in some things like that previously, but now I, I know I have that. much that would more. Be great. Yeah. Oh, there's much shit. more. What a great uh, idea. I know, I know better like how to do that and what to do. So that's been, been good. And then of course with the band, Grand Funk will get back to doing some gigs when it's safe. I have no idea what will happen in October with the cruise lines yet. Anyone that thinks they know the answer I think is being a little foolish, but I, I'm just like, I'm just going to keep growing and entertaining people and doing what I love. And, uh, you know, your invitation to share our, you know, thoughts on, on everything we appreciate and, um, God bless you guys for being out there and, and, and helping people be entertained. Thank you, ma'am. Um, again, you know, thank you guys so much for uh, for coming on, and we, we wish you nothing but this, uh, the the most success. And uh, I hope when you come around, we get a chance to see it. Right, Sean? Absolutely, and we love New York, of yes. course. You know, we both. Lisa lived there for many years, even though she's a Midwest Iowa girl. And I'm, of course, born and bred in New York, so you should hear my voice when I get there. I go total New York. <laughs> you know, hey, my fingerboard, you know, fingerboard. <laughs> I, I go totally New York. I lost a little bit of it, but I, I, I do miss everybody in New York. I can't forget my Brooklyn roots. No way. Yeah, you still sound kind of New York-y to well, me. I get a little of that New York yeah, in there. Sure, yeah, sure. Well, thanks, guys. You know, Thank thanks you for the so invitation. Much. And and you guys right. know our social media that you can share with everybody? <laughs> Please let everybody let, just shout it out and then yeah. we'll, we'll put it in post-production. We'll do the graphics. Okay, but certainly BruceKulik.com, uh, even Lisa's artworks there and, and all of my, my social media is right there. Don't be afraid of a website. It's a really nice one. I'm very proud of it. And you can see all things Kulik, as I like to say. And the other one where you could especially see uh, performances with Lisa is the, is the YouTube channel. I didn't really embrace that that much before covid and then with covid obviously all the good contents on my my youtube channel which is just my name bruce kulik it's easy to find you know and all that contents up there all those performances with lisa and all these other things like i do guitar kiss guitar of the month and then i've been doing these deep dives into big anniversaries from my kiss years asylum and animal animalize and hot in the shade things like that so it's really easy to be entertained you could spend hours on our content right. right Awesome. Listen, again, we thank you so much. Guys who are listening, please, please, please look up Bruce uh, Bruce Kulik and Lisa. And again, we w- thank you so much for coming on. We really no do problem. appreciate it. Thanks, guys. All Keep right. in touch. Okay. Good game, everybody. All right. Take yep. care. Take Bye. care. Bye-bye now.